It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com What are we doing? Foist? Waterfall? Yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, here we are after a momentous occasion, really, uh, with the official confirmation of a Qatari bid to buy 100% of Manchester United debt-free. There's no better person to speak to than Ben Jacobs, who thankfully came on this week to give us a little bit of insight into the whole situation. Now, Ben may get taken away by calls because this is quite literally happening tonight. Ben, I really appreciate the fact that you've given 10, 15 minutes of your time for me tonight here. Absolutely. It's going to be busy, of course. There's a lot of excitement at the moment about the Qatar, but it's still at the time of recording, 35 minutes until the soft deadline closes and a number of other bids could well come in, may have already gone in. And in addition to that, we could get more public declarations over the next 24 to 48 hours. But naturally, all of the focus at the moment is around the Qatar bid. And it's pretty much as we expected when we spoke last time that it is, as I reported a few weeks back, a full outright offer. And minority investment was discussed in the process between a number of top-level Qatari stakeholders. But I think it's been clear now for at least two weeks that an outright bid was more likely. And it's been obvious in the last 48 hours that that was fixed from the perspective of Qatar. And now we know that it's not going through QIA, QSI are not involved as well. And the face of it is Sheikh Yassin bin Hamid. Al Thani, who has now confirmed in a statement that he wants 100% of the club and that his offer will be debt free. It's uh, 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 look, when it comes to that, I said it in my reaction on the live stream with the community. It's a carefully constructed one to 200 word statement, including the words debt free. They know exactly why they're saying that. And it's, it's a smart play for, from that sense. There's pledges there of investment in a new stadium, there's pledges of investment in training center in the communities, there's things that the fan base can hold. If the, if the bid was successful, could hold them accountable to. But could you give us a little bit of insight or a little bit of knowledge into um, Sheikh uh, Hamid Al Thani, who he is? And you said, so obviously it's not linked to QIA or QSI. Qatar have decided, presumably, this is the, the, the best way to, to build this bid. 
I think if they'd gone down minority investment, they might have used a more public-facing vehicle, and that's because there becomes less conflict as far as PSG is concerned. And also, in addition, with minority investment, you're not taking over the day-to-day operational control of a football club. And as a consequence, you may have certain people incoming onto the board, but this is very different. And it's telling, therefore, that it's being funneled via Sheikh Yassin bin Hamid Al Thani, who is a Manchester United fan, which will sit very well because when people have previously thought about this bid, Qatar has been named and everyone's got a different connotation from sports washing to human rights to World Cup legacy to really rich to royal. And now there's a name and that name is a Manchester United fan. And as a consequence, it's a bit more personal. And with Jim Ratcliffe, the first thing that we associate is boyhood Manchester United fan, and some would say Nice as well. So now you've got two figures that have publicly declared themselves that are both Manchester United fans. And that helps, I think, from the perspective of the Qatar bid. And then what we have to understand, as we touched upon the last time I came on, is Mm -hmm. that regardless of who is the front-facing person in this, the remit comes right from the top and the Qatar Amir to go off the back of the World Cup and get a Premier League team and do so because it's deemed to be a smart investment that helps a variety of things. And primarily, even though people will say it's PR, it's sports washing, there's other aspects to this. And with sports washing and all of that aspect, as journalists, we have to be responsible and ensure that we investigate all aspects and we do our due diligence and talk to all sides. But there is also a very ambitious sports strategy of the Qatar government, much like in Saudi Arabia, to use sport as a vehicle to get a return on investment. So the business part of this should be made very clear. And on top of that, it is about not being reliant on the oil and gas industry and building a post-World Cup legacy through sport because Qatar will look to use if they're successful the Manchester United brand for a variety of things outside of only Manchester United so there's a lot of excitement about what they're going to do in Manchester but over time and we'll see this with PIF and Newcastle as well they will have goals specifically within Qatar off the back of the Manchester United brand so it's a little bit superficial to describe it this way but you can almost understand it via Football in Manchester is around building a giant again and restoring the club to its glory of season-on-season Champions League and winning trophies ultimately. And then the brand side is a bit different because you do want to grow the Manchester United brand within the Manchester and wider city community. And of course, they want to back infrastructure that helps them modernize the football club. But they'll also want to use the club within Qatar for tourism, possibly things like soccer schools. And a lot of these aspects create jobs and buzz and positivity and stop a reliance only through business in oil and gas. And as a consequence, fulfill these broader government aims. So there'll be that larger aspect, which allows them to also put maybe a bigger number in terms of value on the football club. And then in terms of Sheikh Yassin bin Hamid Al Thani, the first thing I'll say is these families have crossover in terms of names, first names and surnames. So there will be some confusion and I've already seen out there wrong imagery about who he actually is because those searching have seen photos during the World Cup of another Sheikh Yassin 
who is pictured standing behind the Emir when the World Cup trophy is lifted, is also, by the way, the one behind the Aston Villa goalkeeper, Emmy Martinez, when he held the trophy slightly lower down than he should have done. And that's all I'm going to say on that. And he's also pictured with David Beckham as well. That's not this Sheikh Yassim. I'm glad I waited then because I was definitely, definitely going to share one of those photos. (laughs) (laughs) Sheikh Yassim bin Hamid al-Thani, in the context of this Manchester United bid, was born in 1982, was educated in the UK at Sandhurst at the Royal Military Academy, and he graduated actually as an officer cadet. He is the chairman of Qatar Islamic Bank, which is one of the leading banks within Qatar. And he's also been a banker and board member with Credit Suisse Group. And his background is as a Manchester United fan. And it's no surprise that the vehicle for all of this is called 9-2 Foundation, which is a nod to the class of 92. Well, what is that? If I, if I can ask Ben, what is the 9-2 Foundation? I think we're just looking at it as a private fund at the moment. It remains to be seen because there's no public presence. But usually what happens, as we saw with Newcastle, is that a company is created in order to start the process of actually entering into a formal bid. And that's necessary under various rules and governance and, of course, companies' house paperwork and so on. So 92 Foundation appears to be Sheikh Yassim's private fund or vehicle, or some can call it even just company to actually facilitate this. And I think what we're going to find is whether they start something new for registration purposes, or they use something existing, we're going to see this branding and this name around 92 Foundation, because that is a nod to class of 92. And this is another very small but smart move to show an affinity with Manchester United Football Club. So at this stage, there's not that much out there about 9-2 Foundation. Okay. But we know that privately, Sheikh Yassim has his own series of investments. And we know that this particular bid, if successful, is going to be put through a private fund. So we'll get clarification on that probably over the next 24 or 48 hours to establish exactly not only what the vehicle is for it beyond just private fund but in addition to that who else is affiliated because this will not be a solo bid from the chef he's putting his name to it but that doesn't mean that there won't be several other people already involved in the group some of which may have a day-to-day role at manchester united just before i give you a bit more detail about the one other thing i want to say is we heard rumors this morning that the World Cup executives, Hassan Al-Thawadi and Nasser Al-Khattar, would be involved in Manchester United and had been somehow earmarked for senior roles within the club, such as president or CEO. The first thing to say is that this group, much like any others, are planning on coming in first and a bit like Todd Bowley at Chelsea, assessing over a 100-day period what they've got and what they want to change. And therefore, there's nobody lined up necessarily for anything other than board positions, which is normal, because if you're going to buy the club outright, then you're going to have to look at the existing board and who you want to bring in. But this notion that Hassan Al-Thawadi, a very big Liverpool fan, by the way, is going to be president of Manchester United is wide of the mark. It would be beneficial to be using the Supreme Committee for Delivery and Legacy members, such as Al-Thawadi and Al-Khattar, because they're experts. They know how to get things done. They've put on a major 
event, they also have built a ton of stadiums. And as a consequence, it would be wise to seek their advice and expertise. But my understanding remains that there's not been any Manchester United positions at any senior executive level within this group that have actually been allocated to any individuals at this point. And then just coming back briefly to Sheikh Yassim bin Hamid Al Thani, he is very keen on not only restoring Manchester United and the city of Manchester through a purchase, but he also wants to move away from the Glazer model. So how exactly that manifests itself will remain to be seen because we're still at quite an early stage of the process. But yeah. what we know is that there will be a heavy investment on youth. And that can be one of two things. Broadly, it can just mean that he knows about class of 92. He watched the team and he saw the high volume of youth Manchester United players under Sir Alex Ferguson coming through to the first team. And he wants to replicate that, which is normal. But of course, to do that, you don't just bring them in and get lucky. You have to have a strategy whereby you provide pathways to young players, whether you buy them in from different parts of the world or whether you try and find English-born players and then coach and develop them through. And Manchester United, to him, is about those young players coming through and staying at the club for long periods. And then, of course, like any recruitment model, if they succeed, you've got fantastic young players who understand the culture of the club at a very low level. If I can ask you, um, uh, Sheikh uh, Jasim bin, Al- bin Hamad Al Thani, I need to. What? What? If I can ask you one question, there. What's the uh, correct and polite way to shorten that name? Because I can't say that name every single time. I'll run out of words. Yeah, there's no acronym, and his father has one called HBJ. So I'm sure that over time there will be one. But ultimately, Sheikh Yasim is fine. It's just that it can cause confusion because there's a lot of Sheikh Yassims. And similarly, <laughs> as soon as you say Sheikh Althani, it's exactly the same thing, that it's problematic due to how commonplace the family name is. And this right. is why I think we are getting a little bit of confusion. We've got to say, that. We've got to say the whole name. Then. Okay, that's, that's, that's a good well, that's a point to start with. You could, for example, go down the line of the father, who is Hamid bin Yassim bin Yabba Althani, and is known as H.B. J and that effectively is Hamed bin Jabba. So yeah. if you were to apply it this way, then you could replace the H with a J and you could call him JBJ. Now, I'm not aware of those within Qatari circles, and I stand corrected if that's what those that are close to him refer yeah. him to as, but JBJ might be an acronym for those of you short of characters on Twitter or (laughs) wanting to try and refer to him in a way that is a little bit easier on the tongue. But this is also a factor in all of this, by the way, because when you talk about Czechs, when you talk about royalty, it's very important to get their names right. And within Qatar, you'll notice every time they come on screen in television or are published, you will get the full title with all yeah. of the names because there's respect and there's yeah. ultimate meaning behind each of these names. But his father is a former prime minister of Qatar and also was involved in QIA as well, which is probably why QIA were part of the discussions 
and involved in the process of the bid. So maybe I'll start something in JBJ, but the father's definitely known by everybody as HBJ by his initials. So JBJ. You've heard it here first. It's an exclusive from Ben Jacobs of JBJ. Now, if I can ask you one quick uh, question here. The idea of him being a United fan is brilliant. Where are we just being fed that? Or is he actually a United? Where, where's that come from? Is that just is that coming from something that's been existing in his whole life? Or is it something that's just been associated with the fact that a bid is going in now and he's representing the bid? No, Manchester United fan, from what I understand, from pretty much boyhood. And you find this amongst a lot of high-profile Qataris. They'll have a league team and they'll have a Premier League team, like Hassan Al-Thawadi, as I said before, who was the chief of the World Cup big Liverpool fan, educated in Scunthorpe, by the way, as well. So his second team is Scunthorpe United. And with this particular Sheikh, Yassin bin Hamid Al-Thani, JBJ, maybe it is going to... Maybe it is, it's JBJ from now on. Who knows? He watched Manchester United as a kid. He was certainly very alert to that class of 92 team. I'm told that he's met David Beckham and also Sir Alex Ferguson before. And I also understand that he has very fond memories, as I think does every Manchester United fan of 1999 and that amazing year that Manchester United Football Club had. And when you're of a certain age, and he was born in 1982, then by the time you get into that late 90s period, Manchester United are flying, and you're at that age where you really start to develop strong loyalties and affinities towards players. Now, I would add that a lot of people, particularly in that part of the world, but I think that this is a trend beyond only just Qatar and this bid, are way more player-centric now. So you'll often meet people, particularly the chefs, that say, I'd love to meet Mbappe. Of course, I like Messi or Ronaldo. What about Erling Haaland? And they follow individual players more. Yeah, and when absolutely. players go to the club, if you visit them, they'll have shirts from all the different clubs that they've been to. So don't be surprised if there's an element of that in this where you have an individual that has a affinity with Manchester United, memories from Manchester United, but also is just very much a modern football fan who consumes teams and individuals in quite a diverse way. And from living in Qatar, I even found it firsthand, the big difference between Manchester and Qatar in this context, and it's a very specific point I know that I'm making, is that you go to games, you've got a local club, you tie your colours to the blue or the red half of Manchester, and it is part of your lifestyle, your ritual, your culture, your family, and that's because you're there. But anyone else that's a global fan is seeing a lot more games because the matches take place on BN Sports. All the Premier League is there. All League One is there. All La Liga is there. The Bundesliga has been there. Serie A has been there. Internationals are there. World Cups are there. So because you're not there and you're not going to travel to every game 99 times out of 100, you're watching one match, one team, and then you're making it a social occasion with your friends in a very different way, often staying up late, because they're ahead. So Champions League matches are finishing at like one in the morning. And then you might watch another game and another game and another game, particularly at the weekends. So the level of knowledge, the level of teams, the level of player affinity is higher because it's all just there and it's reachable. So you've almost got this paradox because you can't go to every game and you might like to, and obviously you'll have a primary team, 
but you can also see and watch and consume a lot more. And that gives people multiple affinities at times. So for the purpose of this bid, and based on what I know about Sheikh Yassin bin Hamid Al Thani, he is indeed a boyhood Manchester United fan. That was his club in the same way that Hassan Al Thawadi is a Liverpool fan and is not going to be earmarked for any Manchester United yeah. position. But it's a different mentality. And sometimes people like this in business realize that there is that worth of developing a club and a brand in a slightly different way to that global audience, which means targeting young audiences, which means developing the women's team and making sure that that is sustainable and well-funded. So it's going to be exciting times for every aspect of the club because it's a different perspective to the Glazers and it's more ambitious because ultimately there's more strategic aims to tick off. And I think that with Sheikh Yassin bin Hamid Al Thani, because he's been educated within the UK, he understands both cultures, which is why he's a very good fit for this type of bid. So now we have to wait and see, obviously, how it progresses. And that's the next thing that's worth touching upon. Yeah, I was going to ask you, and in turn, there's one important part that's not involved in a statement is, is a price. Uh, and presumably that's... Uh, I don't know whether the price is... Well, they obviously don't have to be involved in the official statements. I don't even know if an, if an official statement actually has to be released about a bid. I mean, could technically people could put bids in without publicly confirming it, right? Well... Do they have to, do they have to release an official... like? They have to put a number, but the number doesn't mean as much as is being reported. Um, we're going to see a flying range of figures, but this is an initial offer. So it is before in the process, significant due diligence is done. Yeah. So therefore, anyone that is put forwards and continues with due diligence will have to establish more accurate value based on what they uncover during that due diligence. So it's a back and forth process. So this price is not fixed. It's not binding. Are you hearing anything about a price? We've always been told the same thing, which is that it will fall below the Glazers' so-called 6 billion valuation. And it may be as low as 4 billion plus incentives, or it could be a little bit closer to 4.5. There will be reports that say it pushes 5 billion. And as I said to you the last time we spoke, that might not seem like a big sliding scale, but it's massive. There's a billion difference between those two offers. So yeah. you're always going to start low because you've not done your due diligence. It would be very foolish to go in high and then find that the due diligence forces you to back down. So therefore, we're going to get a situation where whatever the exact number is, it's probably going to be lower than the Glazers came into the sale process wanting. And that's yeah. because the Paris have always said they don't want to overpay. But there's a ways around a deal if all parties want to get it done. And that's where the S in Glazers again becomes important because the family are not unified in any approach. So getting instant reaction from those close to Manchester United, I'm told that there is an optimism and a approval that another group has gone public. And it's absolutely clear that the Qataris are serious. But if the Glazers say, sorry, you're not close to our outright sale valuation, who knows how the group will react? There's also a possibility that they decide that they'll settle for minority investment for now if they're given an indication that they can up their stake over time. And yeah. that's where the Glazers can have their cake and eat it if they say, okay, let's say you've bid 4.5 billion and that number is deemed to be too low. 
And even after due diligence, if Qatar go up to 5 billion, the Glazers say, sorry, we've actually decided now that we want six, seven, eight billion because the club's going to qualify for Champions League, we believe, and the value will grow over time. Then it may be that the Qataris, and we're being hypothetical here, say, I want a scenario like 49ers Enterprises and Leeds United, where we start with 30% of the football club and we accept that when we get to 100% of the football club, if what you, the Glazers, are saying is true, the value of the football club will have skyrocketed. So we're going to have to pay a lot more for that 70%. And then in return, the Glazers accept that they'll sell somewhere around 30% for less than $5 billion. So the Qataris get a minority deal on their terms now, but if they want to make it outright, then somewhere down the line, whatever the roadmap that's spelled out, they'll have to pay a lot more if the Glazers' valuation proves true and the price of the club continues to go up. Now, that's just one possibility. It's logical financial sense if a deal isn't met. And the other thing is that right now, the aim of Qatar is to put themselves out there to enter the process, to do their due diligence and to not overpay because this is only a initial offer that's not legally binding. They can go down, they can go up. It all depends on the due diligence. They could literally say, we've bid 5 billion and we've done the due diligence and now our new offer is one pound and there's nothing stopping them doing that. Or vice versa, you could come in at a pound and say, here's 10 billion because the due diligence has uncovered that we think the price should meet the case extreme value uh, valuation so those are very hypothetical examples it is still stay it is it is still the early stages is effectively what you're saying that, that's what it is this is the soft deadline this is when just uh, people need to come to the table and the qatari bid is the first to officially come forward with the pledge of 100% with the pledge of making it debt free and with the pledge of investment in the club in the teams in the stadium and in the communities not even any has reached that point yet yeah, with Ineos, you're going to hear a lot of the same things. Of course and you will. They themselves have got a structural issue around Nice and potentially Manchester United. But what Qatar have done in this statement is very cleverly worded to outline basic vision that will go down well with the fan base because Manchester United fans will see that they've got capital. They'll see that there's a Manchester United fan leading it. They'll see that they're officially and seriously in the race. They'll see that they're confident and they'll see that they want to invest money within the community. So you can see there in the statement, debt-free was a key word to mention. And then below that in the second paragraph from the bottom, the vision of the bid is for Manchester United Football Club to be renowned for footballing excellence and regarded as the greatest football club in the world. You can't lose PR points by saying all of these things, but it's about the specifics going forwards in terms of how big is the group? Can yeah. they meet an outright offer that matches the Glazers' valuation? Who else is in the race? That's very important as well because we're still expecting offers from North America, possibly Saudi Arabia as well. And those can come in after the soft deadline, which at the time of recording is in 10 minutes time. And on top of that, there is a nod through the vehicle to the class of 92 and a reference to developing not just the football club, but ultimately everything around the football club as well. So this covers all of the basics, but to be honest with you, every owner will say these type of things entering the race for Manchester United Football Club. So I, bet, the only- I, I think a smart thing that uh, they've done now is, you're right, everyone's going to say it. Now, Qatar said it first now. They, they, because the statements come out first, anybody else who says what they've said there 
they can just say, well, you're just saying exactly what we've said. Uh, and they, they're first to the table with those PR words, which everyone's going to say, but they're yeah, first. Yeah, exactly. Get free. And that's the thing that when you're looking to engage with the fan base and also win a sort of, to some extent, PR battle, which can, as we saw with Chelsea, form how a takeover process plays out, you want to be able to generate a kind of false perception in the media and within the fan base that your front runners, that you're winning, that you're strong. And this is normal. We saw it with the Chelsea takeover as well. And it can work the other way, whereby with the Ricketts family and Chelsea, there was such an anti-Ricketts feeling, including hashtags like Ricketts out, that eventually they pulled out of the race. So Manchester United fans, a bit like with the rebellion for the European Super League, have that power to nail their colours to a particular bid. And in doing so, indirectly, it puts pressure on the Glazers. Because imagine if Qatar come out and say all the right things, their offer is competitive, they lay out their plans, they're as transparent as possible, and this can apply to any group, obviously. Then if the Glazers turn around and say, sorry, the valuation wasn't met, there's going to be outrage, which means that the more PR they drum up and the more momentum there is around any particular group, the harder perhaps it is for the Glazers to just say, sorry, the number's not been hit. So either we're not interested or we're picking a different group or we're only going down the line of minority investment. And that's why I think momentum and being public at the time of the deadline is important because yeah, Qatar is yeah. going to come under scrutiny. There are aspects of the bid that are always going to be controversial. It's the same with Saudi Arabia, should they enter the race Correct. as well? And everyone will have their own opinion on that. And I don't just mean things like sports washing or human rights. There's also controversy around who exactly is involved and how it's going to be structured. So one of the cleverest things they've done is before the deadline, come out and put a name to it. So nobody's going to bed speculating. Nobody's going to bed rumoring. And I think I've said to you before on this show, I give a lot of context. And I know that everybody would like bite-sized chunks and headlines. Who's the name? Who's the group? How much have they bid? Are they going to win? But if you go down that line, you can fall into traps. And I've said very consistently all along, have caution, be patient. They will come out. They will make a statement. It will be private funds, all of which are correct now as per the statement. But in the build-up, we've seen it's QIA. It's QSI, it's Nasser Al-Khalifi, it's Hassan Al-Thawadi, it's Nasser Al-Khattar, it's HBJ, the father, rather than the son. JBJ. Six million. They're bidding 4.5 million. They will meet the Glazer valuation. They won't meet the Glazer valuation. There's been a lot of speculation. A lot of this is not true. It's only going to be minority investment, we've heard. And Qatar, I've got no interest in buying an outright stake in a football club, which is also now not the case. And this isn't a slight, by the way, on anything out there, because a lot of credible sources have either been in the dark or are briefing tactically because that tactical brief raises the stock price or ultimately does things that help the bidding process, including putting pressure on other suitors. So this isn't a slight on any of the reporting because there's very credible sources out there have actually given information that has proven to be incorrect. And you think as a journalist sometimes, I wonder why that was said. And now retrospectively, you start to realize. So this is why the public statement is important, because it separates itself from the noise. And it says, whatever you've heard, 
this is who we are. This is the name that we're putting it through, even though there's not much clarity yet around this name. It is debt-free, and this is what we want to do. And it's simple, it's effective, and now they can step away and watch the rest of the process unfold to work out who their rivals are, do their due diligence, and then come back at another point. Because if it follows the same process as the Chelsea bid, there'll be another deadline for either second offers or final offers. Yeah. And with Chelsea, it was final offers because there was an urgency. With Manchester United, it just depends how long the due diligence takes. So even though people are saying that this could be done by March, and that is possible in theory, yeah. there isn't also that same definitiveness. So as a credible suitor progresses, if they become the preferred bidder in an exclusive sense, then the power dynamic changes. So if you talk to the Glazers now and you say, hypothetically, your valuation's been met, do you want to sell? And they decide yes, then it is true. It could be done by late March, early April. Yeah. But if the suitor enters into an exclusive period and they realize they need more time for due diligence, then there's really nothing that the Glazers can do if they remain committed. The exclusive time period can be shortened in order to put pressure on the prospective buyer to complete a deal within a set time, but still deadlines can be missed. And the yeah. individual group, if they are in that exclusive period, has a lot more power and control because they know they're in the lead because they've actually been named the preferred bidder in an exclusive period. And yeah. then if problems over price, if there's legal things to be done, if there's any dispute based upon the due diligence as to what any package should be, it can slow down. And that's just worth pointing out that in a best case scenario, if everything goes according to plan and the Glazers are happy, we are looking at Easter. But it could also drag on until somewhere close to or at the end of the season. And I don't think there will be any panic from any parties about that, because if it is to be Easter, that's very fast for a takeover. And there's really no need to rush it as long as things are heading in the right direction. The date that it gets done is not as important as the actual green light from the Glazers that they're prepared to accept whichever offer they choose, if it is it's a good point. It is a good point. Obviously, we need it before the end, in time for the summer. But as you can, well, geez, this is a dramatic, revolve, revolving, evolving situation. This is, I suppose, the first official bidder. Ben, I'm sure me and you are going to have more chats in the future. I really love the fact that you you're taking some time to to help. I, I like the point you made there about it's all good and well getting bite sized information, but you've really got to take the full context in. And I think that I'd like to think that's what this channel does that maybe others don't uh, because it does take a little bit more of your time, but it's really important. And this is probably one of the most significant, no, sod that, it is the most significant moment in recent history of Manchester United. We waited nearly 20 years for this and we are now making sure that whatever comes next, that we understand it fully. Ben, you're a legend. Thank you very much for coming on and helping us understand. JBJ, we've, uh, we've, we've, got, we've got a new name. That you know helps me a lot. I'll be really disappointed if I get off this call and it turns out that that is just how he's known and <laughs> that I wasn't aware of. But the father is HBJ. I'm 100% sure on that. He refers to himself as HBJ. So who knows? We could have started something under the hashtag JBJ. Let's get it trending and oh, then God. see what happens. <laughs> I'm not going to get that trending. <laughs> but look, thank you very much for joining in, Ben. I uh, hope I haven't missed, made you miss calls. Uh, yeah. Uh, no doubt that we're going to be speaking again in the future because this hasn't finished. But 
I really appreciate your insight, man. Thank you. All the best. Look forward to speaking soon. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.